everybody and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. I'm so glad that you guys could be joining us this evening. So for this case, we're just going to dive right into it because it's a pretty hefty case and I didn't know about it until a co-worker of mine actually recommended it to me to do on this podcast. So this is the case of the disappearance and death of young Isabel Celis. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that last name right, so if I'm not, I would greatly appreciate it if somebody could correct me. So this all starts on the evening of April 20th, 2012, when young six-year-old Isabel Salas was getting ready for bed. Her mom was braiding her hair and getting her tucked in for the night. Now, normally she would have been in bed sooner. This was around... 11 p.m. However, her brothers did have some sort of baseball game that was going on that ran over, so they got home late that night. Now, Isabel also did have her own bedroom, and for the most part, she would prefer to sleep with her brothers, because I guess it's just where she was so young, she wanted to have the company of her brothers around. But for this night, she decided to sleep in her own bedroom. So after Becky, which was Isabella's mother, got done braiding her hair and putting her to bed, she went to bed herself. Everybody had drifted off to sleep. Isabella's father, Sergio, he was watching a baseball game on TV and he had fallen asleep on the couch. Now, somewhere between that 11 p.m. hour and about 5.30, he woke up um, kind of just in a stagger you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got to go to the bathroom or you got to go get a drink or anything of that sort, and just kind of lazily go back to your bed, fall back asleep without giving anything a second thought to your surroundings. He woke up a couple of hours later at 8 a.m. getting ready to um, get the kids up and get them ready to go to school and everything. However, when he went into young Isabel's room, she was nowhere to be found. Now, he searched the house up and down, trying to find her. The brothers were trying to find her. Could not find her for anything. Like, she was nowhere to be found in the house. At that point, it was when one of her brothers discovered that her bedroom window was open and the screen that protected the window was broken and on the ground. I'm not sure if it was on the ground in her bedroom or outside, but either way... The window was busted open, so this was not a good sign. Uh, So Sergio, he calls Becky, and Becky had already left work at around 7 o'clock, so she had long been gone, and I guess she was just leaving it up to the dad to get up and take the kids to school or get them prepared for school. So on getting the news that her daughter's nowhere to be found in the house, Rebecca's rushing home from work, And they contact the police to report that their daughter's missing. They immediately call 911. So both mom and dad are working hard with the police to figure out where she went. Police are going all through the house looking for all sorts of clues. And they did find a couple of strange clues, including some bloodstains. I'm not sure exactly where these bloodstains were, but they did find them. So... When the police had determined that this was a child abduction case, they weren't going to specify who exactly they thought it was, but as with most missing children case, 
I'm sure a lot of people, including some authority figures, were looking at the dad. Or at least figured he knew something that was going on with it. So there was all sorts of suspicion and people were talking about it, saying, oh, mom and dad knew something. They probably sold her for, like, trafficking or something because they owed a debt. All sorts of nasty stuff. Meanwhile, you've got a pair of grieving parents who just want to find their daughter. And they're going on live TV. They're trying to beg whoever this is that took their daughter just to return her back to them safely. And, you know, in the long run, unfortunately, this case did end up getting solved and it does not end properly. All of those bad-mouthing, all of the rumors that were started about this poor father, they were false. So uh, it got so bad that since there was a lot of speculation on the father that the boys were taken out of the father's care completely and it was left solely in the care of the mother, Becky. You know, as a parent myself, I couldn't imagine the pain that Sergio and Rebecca were feeling just trying to figure out what had happened to their daughter and plead for her safe return. And you've got people out there that are constantly pointing their finger and assuming that the mother or the father did it. And I mean, I guess it's kind of understandable why some people would be suspicious given a lot of cases that go on where it is the parent that does something to the child, but you really have to look at every nook and cranny, every bump and corner that there is when it comes to these things because it's not black and white. It's something that's a very, very gray area. So with the parents begging this abductor to just tell them what they want and give their daughter back, the police were also getting thousands of tips from people all over the place saying that they might know where Isabella is or they saw someone that fit her description. Um, but everything that they did, it ended up being fruitless. And this happened in 2012 and it went cold, like stone cold until about 2000. 17. Now around 2017, this is when things started to get a little bit more lively. There was a letter that came to a former fiance of a man, man named um, Christopher Clements. And the fiance, upon receiving this letter, called into the FBI and said that they might want to get a look at this because it was pretty interesting. In this letter, Clements was claiming that he knew where Isabel was buried. So, in this letter, the FBI found out, Clements was saying that he had buried about four bodies in the desert area near the Trico or Trico in West Avra Valley, outside of Tucson, Arizona. And there were two bodies that he primarily named, but the other two, I couldn't figure out the name of these body, uh, bodies or the people that they belonged to. Uh, one of those bodies was that of Maribel Gonzalez. Now, Maribel, she went missing in 2014, and she was just 13 years old when she went missing, and she had been going to a friend's house and never showed up. Um, the police were able to locate Maribel's body just a few days after she had gone missing, but they never would have found Isabel's body without this letter, because... The other person that was identified in this letter was, of course, 
young Isabel, and that's where the unfortunate turn goes. So, they were able to recover her remains in 2017. Now, when they took in Clements, he refused to tell the authorities where she was at first unless they had dropped two burglary charges that were against him. So, in response to that, to be able to get to her body, they released his vehicle, which was being held as evidence in that burglary case, and around March 3rd of 2017, that was when he led them to young Isabel's body. He mentioned that there was an area with tons of discarded tires that he had remembered, and this just so happened to be the same area where they had found Maribel's body in 2014, and the DNA evidence that they had found linked him to this crime. However, even though he said that he knew where Isabel body's, Isabel's body was, excuse me, and led them directly to her body, he still refused to say how he discovered she was there, refused any wrongdoing in it, pretty much, which makes absolutely no sense. How are you going to write a confession letter stating that you know where a body's buried, but you don't know how that body got there and have all this detail? I mean, it's one thing to just stumble across a body because that's happened to plenty of people in the past, but they're not keeping something a secret like that and then writing this massive letter saying that you buried multiple bodies in an area outside a city in the desert. Beats me, but that's just damn fishy if you ask me. Now, not only was he talking in this letter saying that he knew where she was buried, but he was also saying that he knew what weapon was used to kill Isabel and still refused to tell them unless the burglary charges were dropped and he was allowed to go home. Now, in my opinion, this is absolutely fucking shitty. Like, this is a little girl, this is somebody's baby, and you're using that as a bargaining tool because you want lesser charges for some fucked up shit that you have done in your life? Like, no. I'm sorry, I don't think you should get to bargain when it comes to shit like that. Well, after... All of this, looking into Clement's background and everything, they were able to discover that he was a registered sex offender. He had lived in Oregon, Washington, Florida, and Arizona. And he was convicted back in 2006 of a failure to register as a sex offender while he was in Florida. So this asshole has got a huge fucking line of just being an absolute piece of excrement. And how he was able to fly under the radar like he was, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure there's some more information out there stating, you know, he's probably got a lot more convictions than what I was able to find. But, yeah, he was a registered sex offender and he had been living in multiple states. And this dark-ass sadistic past of his goes back to when he was even a child because it says when he was about 11 he was accused of molesting a very young child but was never charged of that. I mean if they had caught him sooner, if they had punished him a little bit sooner maybe we wouldn't have to deal with this but you know I don't understand the US and how it handles 
sexual crimes. It's just bullshit, in my opinion. So, during the investigation that they did, the police um, went to a prior residence of Clements, and they had a search warrant to execute, and they could search the grounds there. They found a plastic container in the backyard of this absolute dumpster fire, and when they pulled this plastic container out within it, there was a child-sized sweatshirt that had the name Mercedes on it, and from sources, it looks like Mercedes was Isabel's middle name. So, just rewinding back, this dickwad sat there and said he had no idea how Isabel's body ended up where it was, but yet when the police dug up his backyard, they were able to find a shirt that linked him to Isabel. And not only that, they found ashes on his property. Now, I'm not sure what those ashes are for. He could have tried to burn some shit, but dumbasses. I mean, dumbasses just leaving all sorts of shit behind. Which is good for the police in this case, but... Oh my god. And they found multiple child porn and explicit images of children on his computer. Not only were they able to find child porn on his computer, but there were a lot of searches that, um, I don't really want to go into what they are. I've got them written here. Um, you, let's just say that one of the more PG versions on his search history was child kill killer found not guilty and Arizona cold cases and he was also looking up cases of young girls that had been raped and killed back in like 2001 and 1991 it's it's just I mean this dumbass pretty much left a perfect breadcrumb trail for the for this whole thing but oh my god it makes me sick to my stomach just sitting here thinking about this but further on into the investigation police were able to locate a former um, um, inmate of Clements in Pima or Pima County um, and this inmate sang like a canary when it came to outing Clements he was talking about how Clements was showing interest in the Celis case while it was going on. He um, had supposedly told this inmate that there, there was damning evidence in the trunk of his car. So that's probably where the ashes come into play. Um, but he said he needed to get that car like straight away. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same car that the police r released back out to him in their deal that they did. But, um, yeah, he also had stated to this uh, fellow inmate that Isabel was never meant to survive the kidnapping. So, my mind goes to the worst case scenario that he was sitting there stalking this little girl because this was a family that they were active, they loved sports, the boys played in baseball, Isabel played in baseball. So, God... God help. I don't know. Maybe he was 
watching her from like a baseball game and that's just that's every parent's worst fear right there to take their child out and be oblivious to the fact that there could be a predator watching their child and to make it even scarier that he was willing to stalk and find where she lived so he could do harm to her I mean this is just a nightmare in its purest form now, he had also told this inmate that he had photos inside of a Bible, like stashed away inside of this Bible, that were of the Celest home. So this is just showing all sorts of premeditation, like he meant to do this. And it's... The fact that he was willing to break into a house, even if he was stalking this family, and just take this little girl in the middle of the night is it's bone chilling it's terrifying it's ev it's everything that's wrong with the world and it just makes me so uneasy to think of what Isabel was going through in her last moments in life and I just I, there's no words for it there's just absolutely no words you can't say that you hope that it was quick or anything like that because it's it's terrible so, with all of the evidence that they had against this motherfucker, uh, they, um, convict- well, they were indicting him, I should say, of the murder of Isabel and- oh boy. <laughs> so, of Isabel and Maribel, excuse me. So, the jury selection- was supposed to be going underway a while ago, but now his case has been postponed at least for the third time now, which I don't know if it has to do with corona or what the hell the damn holdup is, but um, it looks like as of April of this year, it was showing that jury selections for Isabel would begin on September 8th and jury selection for Maribel would be July 28th and he is facing 22 felony charges and up to 110 years in prison which I know that asshole is not going to survive that amount of time but oh this could be something that people could probably heavily debate whether or not the death penalty was a possible thing here because it looks like this asshole just premeditated shit and had no remorse for anyone especially young children so in my opinion this would definitely be a good enough thing to have someone sentenced to death because he didn't give these little children a chance so I'm not sure how the family took this news that their little girl was kidnapped just straight out of their home by a complete stranger that had been following them, but I can only imagine the pain that Mr. and Mrs. Ellis is going through. My heart goes out to them. I hope that they can try to find some sort of peace because now they have some sort of closure. They were able to at least find their daughter's remains, but it's a wound that definitely will take way more than time to heal. But that is the case 
of the disappearance and the death of Isabel Celis. I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode to listen. It's always very difficult to cover child cases, especially when you're a parent. Nobody really wants to hear about this stuff, I know, but it's something that's real that happens more often than people think, and it's important to get the message out and have people know about things like this so we can try to prevent another one of these happening, even though it might seem like, you know, even as time goes on that this stuff's still going to happen. The more that these stories are known, the more that it's put out there, the better chance people have of being able to locate children that have been abducted or, or be able to prevent even so no other parent has to suffer through the same kind of fate that the Celis family did. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you guys want to listen to more episodes, please feel free to um, give us a review um, comment, send us an email at the manic manner podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's manic manner podcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon set up now. It's manic manner podcast. Um, other than that, I think that's it for tonight. This has been one hell of an episode. Um, Join us next time. We are actually going to be covering a case from a different country. This is going to be a case straight out of South Korea. The Jijon Pa, Jijon family. Um, I don't know if anybody's heard of that one yet, but I am so excited to be able to go over this with you guys. So until next time, stay safe.